school games and modern games inspired by them. Howdy do everybody. It is Save for Half Monster Edition. That's right. We are covering Monsters, Monsters, the game from the late 70s, which allows you to play a monster in a fantasy world. Does exactly what it says on the tin. And more. <laughs> anyway, this is DM Mike, the giant hobbit threatening your PCs, the monstrously huge hobbit, which I guess makes me a human. But anyway, <laughs> and so joining me is... The young crone from Putney, DM Liz. That it be, Lord, that it be. Yes, it is, not that it be. (laughs) And the snark of Wyoming himself, DM Corbett. Greetings, human scum. Oh, I mean humans, because we're all humans, right? Do not suspect (laughs) that I am not human, says the little button on on his lapel. And from the wilds of Ohio, the dragon whose toothpick is a wand of fireballs, DM Jim. <laughs> I can smell you, burglar. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh! by the way, you've missed a spot there on your belly. Just thought I'd mention that. Oh, that's right. I've got one missing piece of armor. Uh-huh. Yeah, I swear. Yeah. <laughs> but he bought one of those crystal D20s to put there, so it's all good. Uh-huh. I thought he got two crystal balls. <laughs> anyway. And just like to announce, GM, DM Jim is back on the show. Yay! Sorry about your luck. <laughs> he never left. Which means you gotta go, Liz. Sorry. Oh, man. Hey, that wasn't the deal. <laughs> <laughs> So anyway, we're talking about Monsters, Monsters, first published by Metagaming Concepts, then later by Flying Buffalo Incorporated. We will chat about that in detail, the good, the bad, and the monstrous. But first... What did we do at Gaming this week? Who cares? What have we been doing in gaming this week? Liz. Oh, gosh. 
this week, I haven't been doing an awful lot of gaming. I have been finishing up some layout stuff for some some game things, but I'm not sure how much I can actually say about it. So I'm doing layout for some Frog God stuff, but I'm not going to tell you what. Ribbit. Hey. I can say bunnies and burrows. They can't find <laughs> me. <laughs> okay, then. I am the layout monkey for bunnies and burrows right now, and that's what I've been working on. So I haven't actually been gaming myself, but I've been working on laying out some game stuff. Would you be the layout frog? No, layout monkey. Mm-hmm. There's too many frogs in Frog God right sea now. Sea monkey. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, let's go with that. I, I hate to do this because we were just discussing before we started recording. No one on this podcast can take a compliment, but I've seen the layout and it's sharp. You did a great job. Oh, thank you. Now let's just hope the guy with the money agrees with you. <laughs> I don't get to do as much traditional graphic design work in my current job because I got a graphic design degree and I wind up getting on a web team. It's been Yay, really. You've got a job. Been, I know, right? <laughs> But it's been nice to be able to, you know, do some more of the quote unquote traditional design work that I had kind of been thinking of when I went and got the degree in the first place. (laughs) Cool. Corbett? I have been making a Egyptian sarcophagus with my son. Ooh. For school, not for burying somebody. I was about to say, you're not going to put your son in it, are you? (laughs) Technically, it's his size, so if the need arises... Wow, that's creepy. (laughs) Why are we making it my size, Daddy? It's what he wants. It will fit the car. I mean, that's going to come in handy eventually, you know, when a goldfish or a parakeet bites it. That's a big goldfish. (laughs) We feed them big here. Nothing but steak for my goldfish. <laughs> <laughs> raw red meat. It's amazing what goldfish grow into with enough raw red meat, right? Speaking <laughs> of monsters. Well, that's actually kind of cool. I-, I wish my dad would have been able to do something that cool with me. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's pretty sweet. But no actual gaming? No, no actual gaming. Sorry, I've been kind of buried. Literally. But it's a great prop for a future game. <laughs> that's very true. Call of Cthulhu. <laughs> uh all right jim oh what have you done jim? any gaming please do something gaming uh in just a couple of weeks a lot of prep for total con and uh gary con which are weeks away both of them but uh my uh main gaming related focus has been a uh kickstarter i'm doing that as we record this launches tomorrow by the time this airs it'll be in full swing so Mud Puppy Games and Jim Wampler would appreciate your support. It's a supplement digest size book called Check This Artifact. It's a bunch of brand new, crazy ass, overpowered OP artifacts that you can uh, kill your players with, or they can kill each other uh, for uh, any D20 based post apocalyptic game. And, you, and, and as far as I'm concerned, drop it in the middle of your D&D game and let them figure that out. Yeah, for a little science fantasy gonzo. That's my cup of tea. Man, I was thinking I could probably grab that and maybe just file off the serial numbers a bit and put some steampunk gears and crap on it and <laughs> use it in a victorious game. <laughs> yeah, some of it I could potentially use, especially for like alien artifacts and such. Work really so, well. So, uh, oh, I can talk. I can talk all all about it because when this airs, the Kickstarter will be there. So it's like a fifty-page book, fifty-two pages. It may slide 
back and forth a couple of pages, but it's already laid out uh, with a lot of great art, uh, some industry artists like Corey Shonuff. Gelnut? Oh, from Thaco's Hammer. Yeah, yeah. Friend from a former podcast, uh, J.V. West, a really great guy I found named Dan Smith, who's an actual comic book artist in real life, and I have ponied up and done some art myself. You're a comic Ooh. book artist in real life. <laughs> uh, I, I suppose, yes. <laughs> Technically, yes. And like 30 great artifacts, the whole range. Sure, there's new weapons, armor, and that the and robots, but also like those extra special items that are the purview of far future post-apocalyptic games that they're, they're designed to be. So they're not just items. They're all little mini adventures and plot hooks all built in. Sweet. Because that's how I like doing it. Can we get a taste of your favorite one or slightly less favorite one? So your favorite one saved? Eyes of the Overlord. These uh, artifact contact lenses that are the item through which you would uh, put them in your eyes and they don't come out unless you decide to undergo some enucleation, which is a great word. And uh, they contact you to this patron deity called the Overlord, who uh, was a uh, not only a supercomputer of the far future and the ancient makers, but it was operational when the Great Catastrophe happened, and it's still running. And it, the Overlord was an AI in charge of uh, active duty military, military to connect all the troops and all the AI enhanced equipment together. So that's a that's a good that's a good guy to know, <laughs> and serve as long as he's not like the computer from Paranoia. Good point. Oh well, I don't want to. I, I don't want to say too much. <laughs> and at least one uh, post-apocalyptic role-playing game that I authored, being a priest to these guys, is limited to uh, humans. This Overlord cat doesn't care what your genes say, and there are all little rules for if your intelligent plant or mutant animals had a hankering to throw big computer spells like the big boys and girls, he'll take you on. <laughs> Sweet. So back early, back often. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> By 800 copies each. Well, I don't know if we'll do that, but we're definitely going to back. Yeah. Well, I was telling our audience to buy it. Ah. <laughs> Only $3,000 and Jim will come sleep on your couch. <laughs> $3,000 and he'll come down and run a game for you with these items. He'll kill your characters with these items. Yeah, I'm easy, but I'm not cheap. <laughs> <laughs> And on those words to live by, we will cut to a podcasting break. And when we return, we will talk about monsters, monsters. Into a world without nearly enough quality gamer podcasts, they came. The Grognard Files, a podcast about role-playing games from back in the day. You know they're experts because they speak with British accents. Find them at armchairadventureblog.com, iTunes, or wherever fine podcasts are served. Have you been running your games and getting the same old responses? Do you want to spice up every game you play? Well, now it's time for dragons! That's right, dragons! Once a creature of myth and legend, but now a source of hours of fun for the family. Monopoly dragging you down? Throw in a blue dragon! Try spicing up that old checkers game with a red dragon. Ah, pieces are melting! 
What's that you say? You've already been playing Dungeons and Dragons, a wholly owned game by Wizards of the Coast. Please, for the love of God, don't sue us. You don't need more dragons? Well, now try new Dungeons and Dragons and Dragons? What? Now with twice as many dragons, because nothing beats dragons except more dragons. Dragons. For those times when you know you're not going to make the save. And we're back to talk monsters and monsters. Monsters are so important to this game that it had to be listed on the cover twice. As we said, published in 1976 or 79, depending on which copy you've got. I've got the fourth edition copy. He says that he's recounted it word for word, and they've never, ever changed it since then. And you can kind of tell, but that's more of a slam. Sorry. Yeah, I, I notice in the foreword, he specifically talks about how he didn't like the edit job Steve Jackson did when it was first published through Metagaming Concepts. In 1975, you know. Yeah, so he had went back and, and fixed some things. That was back when Flying Buffalo had published Tunnels and Trolls, but didn't have the capacity to do Monsters, Monsters as well. So apparently he went to Metagaming Concepts to get them to do that. He apparently didn't like the version that they did, so he had it reprinted back over at Flying Buffalo. Anyway, regarding the mechanics... It's time for Mike and the mechanics! Sorry, sorry. That's Mike and the mechanics of the game. My bad. It's 3d6, eight attributes, many of which you will recognize. Strength, intelligence, constitution, dexterity, charisma, luck, and as well as things like mystic and speed. The attributes are a little more important in this game. Strength tends to be more used for whether you're a warrior using weapons or a magic user casting spells. You use your strength as your point battery. IQ intelligence you use to determine what level of spells you can cast constitutions your hit points luck is your saving throw so on and so forth so top five and we'll start this time with jim because he's new guy on the block oh, see, I'm, st I'm still trying to get the hang of being back i thought we started with general impressions oh, oh slam oh <laughs> ow well, that was a critical hit, Jim. <laughs> I'm sorry to be a bastard. <laughs> I just wrote show notes and I'm trying to show up and do a good job. What are your general impressions, Jim? <laughs> Pray, elucidate. <laughs> I feel like Michael Che last night on Saturday Night Live. I'm supposed to tell a joke after that. <laughs> <laughs> well mike i'll tell you my general impressions i i've never been a big fan of tunnels and trolls although it's not like i ever gave it a fair shake i bought 
some old edition and read through it and just went, oh, well, this is nice, but it's not my cup of tea. But I friggin' love this thing because this is 1976. Those were the days, man, where it was just freewheeling systems written at the dawn of the hobby. There were no rules, hardly any precedents, and game designers just had an idea, tried it out with their players, and then sat down and wrote those rules in a personal style, front to back, with almost no real forethought. And, and, and as we noted, very little editing, almost stream of consciousness style. I mean, if I I did not see this back in the day, if I'd seen this back in the day, we would have played the holy hell out of it. Yeah, I didn't find out about it till the 80s myself. And of course, it was significantly out of print then. Okay, Corbett. <laughs> but I was excited to jump in and start reading it. I was a little disappointed because I was going in thinking, okay, it's going to be a game play, where you play the monsters and it's all about prepping the dungeon to take out those terrible, awful humans. And it, it's more about raiding and attacking the terrible awful humans or actually the totally normal humans but <laughs> who are totally Frankenstein awful. style go down to the village yeah, yeah. and start checking some kids in the lake <laughs> it's still fun it's still a fun idea i was just like oh it's gonna be more of a like a threes company but in a dungeon and it's not quite what i thought it was but it's still pretty fun it's funny with the exception of the monsters bit that's exactly my my general impression of privateers and gentlemen. <laughs> I chose it. I was excited about it being A, but it was really B once I got into it. Yeah. yeah. Happens to the best of us. Yeah. Okay. Well, Liz? Well, my general impressions of the game upon first read-through are that I like the fact that it really condenses and streamlines as much as one can the tunnels and trolls rule set it's almost like a tunnels and trolls light mm -hmm. yeah that thing's um, only you, what 40 odd pages if you didn't play monsters but you played the standard tnt characters just using these rules as your baseline you could be playing a tnt light basic whatever you want to call it game and it could be a good introduction to the tunnels and trolls rules just as a whole whether you're playing monsters or not which i thought was pretty cool i hadn't thought of it that way you're absolutely right quick start before quick start was cool yeah i'm sure it was not intended to be a quick start but no. you could use it like that <laughs> okay well my general impressions first as a as a full disclosure here Tunnels and Trolls was my second fantasy RPG. I was introduced to it through the Delta Area Wargamers within like two months of joining them, which was like five months after getting my homes basic. So I, I had some experience with Tunnels and Trolls. It was fun. It had its moments. But in the end, we always drifted back to D&D. &D. My general impressions, I, I think there could have been a little more... Well, I'll get into it with specifics, but on the whole, I kind of have to agree with Corbett. I felt like there should have been a little more monster here and a little less, here's a little monster and here's generic tunnels and trolls rules. Here's about load of spells, even though a lot of the monsters don't use spells. So, and I would have liked to have seen some more monster specific spells. Rather they than had just, those actually. Did they? I missed those. Yeah. In the very, very end. Yeah. That's one of my top five. So stay away. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. Don't talk about that. That's Jim's okay. thing. Well, I wish I had more <laughs> of them. Let's put it that way. I kid, I kid. Talk all you want. <laughs> so anyway. I thought the monster-specific spells were pretty funny, actually. But eh. Are they in the back? Were they in the way back? Way in the back. Okay. Way, way in the back. I must have Underneath missed. the old cupboard and behind the shoes. Okay. But they're back there. <laughs> well, that explains it, because those were troll shoes. And <laughs>
say for half, top five. In five, four, three, two. All right, so top fives. We'll start with Jim. Uh, my first top five is, you know how it comes up, especially on podcasts and things. Eventually, the topic comes up of how do you handle players who want to run in an evil campaign? Well, this is the way to run an evil campaign because it's not like, let's just play the same old murder hobos, except now we're not restricted by alignment. It's let's play D&D monsters and what would they actually do? What it reminded me of was uh, in this, the spirit of this game is like an old Commodore 64 game I used to love called Movie Monsters. That too oh, far yeah. back, you guys. You get to build your own monster and then... Yeah, you're just Godzilla. And, and I mean, you know, if you want to think it through an alignment check style, you're destroying buildings and stomping on army men and knocking helicopters out of the sky as hard and as fast as you can. What are the ethical implications? There are none. It's just a game. It's fun. You know, <laughs> and, 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 it remi- and, and this game reminded me of a, a, an old D&D webcomic I used to adore. I don't know if it's still running called Rusty and Company. Did you guys read that webcomic? No. It's super hilarious. The The whole setup of this webcomic is there's a rust monster, a mimic, and a gelatinous cube that decide they're tired of being dungeon monsters, and they form their own adventuring party and do kind of like what you were talking about, Corbett. Go 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 out in the dungeon and have adventures for treasure and gold. And the, and the little rust monster is adorable. As most rust monsters tend to be, unless you're a fighter. So I guess what I'm saying is if this is how to run an adorable evil campaign. Okay. Well, I, that's a good point because one of the, my one of my other I have I have like fifteen top fives. But yeah, one of mine was about the experience system. You get experience for eating, not, adventure not eating people. points. Yeah, well, you get adventure points. But you you get experience for just gorging yourself whenever you attack something and just like ah, oh, you got food. It's like that's. <laughs> So CC Liz, that, that's half our that's half our party in the Jordoba game. They would love that. They they want to eat oh, all the monsters man. anyway. I know. <laughs> I mean, that's just hilarious. But that's I'm sorry. Good point. I, I think you're supposed to say something, Mike. Like what? Liz, what's your number one top five? Good king. Why are we all whispering? We don't want them to hear. <laughs> oh. To avoid the dead air. <laughs> Liz, what's your number five? <laughs> ah, my number five. I like the luck attribute, replacing wisdom. I think it's a very interesting decision. I think, well, I'm pretty sure Tunnels and Trolls was the first game to even use a luck attribute. Well, I think um, it predates, yeah, it, it uh, predates RuneQuest, so yeah. TNT doesn't have a cleric class. So you really don't need the Wisdom Prime attribute for it. And luck is more of an across-the-board attribute that all characters can benefit from, no matter what their class is. And like you said earlier, you know, it's used here for saving throws, or as they call them, saving rolls. But you can also use them to help you find hidden objects and stuff if you're not a thief. So I thought that was a pretty cool substitution rather than just tacking it on and saying well we've got seven attributes you know here's the six you know and luck it's like well let's just get rid of wisdom because we don't have clerics you know you can heal you know but that's a wizard spell you know wizards do it all whether it's you know it's not compartmentalized magic is magic yeah and 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 to expand on that with the luck attribute i mean 
each individual playable monster class, it, but it's race. It's race's class. Mm-hmm. Hey, I didn't thought of it that way. Hey, that's one of mine. There's a tape. <laughs> I mean, the, 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 the stats are 3D6, you know, like normal. But as you go across the individual tables, each monster has rules like ogres are five times as strong or there are multipliers. And some monsters have negative multipliers on that luck. Racial attribute. modifiers. So, so you be careful what you pick if you want to make your saving throw. So, yeah. And I don't know. You know, Liz, when I've talked about this, I, a lot of times, unless I'm specifically playing a cleric in D&D, I tend to give my characters low wisdoms because I figure I decided it's really smart to go into a hole in the ground and fight monsters for money rather than get a real job. That's not <laughs> awfully wise, really. <laughs> if I were really wise, why would I be hanging out with murder hobos? You know, you might have something because all those guys back in the village might be zero level nobodies, but some of them are rich. Right. So, okay. My number five, race as class, because that's pretty awesome. And they literally do that here. Humans, I mean, they have a kind of class system like Tunnels and Trolls, but it's basically warrior, rogue, or wizard. And that's pretty much it. With the monsters, monsters, you've really got your monster type varies not only your attributes, but certain special abilities that it becomes even more important. That's what I like about it. I'm always good about races and classes. So kind of like some, cause you know, there's goblins, so that would be racist class, but then, you know, there's all kinds of other things where it's kind of species class. Actually, I was thinking more like shadow jacks who are kind of warrior wizards, really. I think they're it's super loosey goosey was the point I'm trying to make. Right. Very okay. much so. All right. Well, number four, Jim. Oh, well, that, that I segued you into racing class and you segued me into loosey-goosey old school rules. The part that I personally uh, grooved on the hardest on this uh, game is probably the parts that might have thrown some of you for loop. And, and fair warning to a modern gamer who runs straight to Flying Buffalo and gets the PDF copy of this and buys it. It's solidly old school in a way that would scare the bejesus out of most modern gamers. The rules have exceptions to the exceptions to the exceptions for just miles. This is not a game for a bunch of friends wanting to know what a role-playing game is to sit down and try to play. And you're not teaching your kids to play this because there are more fiddly bits than you can shake a Vorpal sword at. It remind, Reading through it reminded me of first edition Metamorph Alpha, uh, which uh, by coincidence was also written in 1976. The, those playable monster races have crazy rules just for the classes and only the broadest of nods towards any sort of game balance. This is when they wrote games with the idea of just run with it and go have fun. If there's a problem, you'll figure it out. You and a group of players would have to commit to learning this game these days. Yeah. Okay, well, Corbett, four. You know, I'm going to do a number four that counters that just a little. But I mean, it's totally with it. Because I thought one of the greatest quotes, I mean, straight up quotes out of the book, best explanation for to, to explain anything about gaming to anybody came out of the editor's notes. It was like the second paragraph. Uh, yeah, like the last two sentences. Fantasy games are open-ended. The rulebook is only the skeleton. The game master provides the flesh and the players breathe life into it. I thought that was almost poetic. In a monster building sort of way. Yes, the weird part. <laughs> <laughs> like, 
that is so so well written to explain every time they're like what's a role-playing game well it's kind of like pretend but not exactly it's sort of like a board game but not exactly and (laughs) like i never can explain it because it's it's just sort of in the ether i think he captured it really well which is really funny because in other parts of that same editor's notes he talks about uh, other games being difficult and hard to manage and too rulesy there's only one other game at this time (laughs) (laughs) right so it's really kind of interesting that that it is loosey-goosey totally i suppose he could have been referring to (laughs) war games Maybe. Well, he he calls it a war game in the intro because the distinction wasn't solid at that point. Yeah. This, this is a yeah. new kind of war yeah. game. It's role-playing. He's got a very hopeful, upbeat tone about everything in, in the, the role-playing world. And it's sort of weird because later on it changes. Yeah. But yeah. I should point this out too. I didn't. I meant to mention this. Uh, Ken St. Andre? Yeah. He's the guy who wrote it. <laughs> and Liz Danforth were both librarians. And huh. I think he retired as a librarian. So this is written by librarians and drawn by librarians. So there you go. So when you're reading this, be quiet. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, that's why we were whispering earlier. Maybe that's exactly. why the original tunnels so much of TNT was written for solo play. So you could just be in the library playing it quiet. Quietly that's rolling your dice. Which I forgot to mention earlier, but yeah, this game only uses D6s. Um, like Tunnels and Trolls. Because when Ken San Andre wrote it, he's like, polyhedron dice, that's stupid and hard to find. So everybody should just use D6s. Well, at the time they were. It was years before I got my first polyhedron set. I mean, what would you do? Draw numbers from a bag? Come on, Mike. Yeah. <laughs> Chits out of a cup or something. Anyway, Liz, number four. Number four. This is a little bit of a bash, but not a whole, not a really big one. When I first started reading through this, there were a lot of clever asides thrown in. There's like a constant stream of footnotes throughout the text at the beginning, just to accommodate smart remarks. (laughs) And it kind of broke the flow of text and made it hard for me to read. And I was thinking oh my gosh, is it going to be like that all the way through this book? And fortunately, it was not. Uh, Ken and Steve seem to have gotten it out of their system by page six, so it's not nearly as prevalent throughout the rest of the booklet. But yeah, the first few pages, I was thinking, oh God, this is going to be so hard to get through if it's all going to be like this, you know, footnote, 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 footnote. And it's all for just being snarky is like ah yeah yeah sort of the stan lee thing i'm I'm, I'm gonna gonna show you how funny i am with editorial asides right it's like and i don't mind that so much if they're kind of spaced out occasionally you know put in there it can be very amusing but it was just like bam 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 it's like you know three or four footnotes on the same page just for smart remarks it's like this is a little too much of a good thing you know (laughs) it is no longer a good thing what is this a podcast or a game i know right (laughs) but yeah after about page six or so they calmed down and the rest of the read was a lot easier for me and probably thank liz danforth for that being the editor, but I will certainly be willing to say that anyone named Liz is responsible for for good things. So well, there you go, Liz Danforth. Well, there you go. 
I'm trying not to go on a whole list and fourth Jag because I'm anticipating she's at least one of your top fives. Maybe, maybe not. You you do what you want to do. I have extras. I'm, I'm, I'm just going to wait to uh, praise her to the heavens at the appropriate moment. Okay. Hey, Mike, what's your number four? Okay, like Jim was saying, back in the 70s, things were a lot more freeform. A lot of wargaming and fantasy came from the fandom of the era, which played pretty fast and loose when it came to copyrighted material. and. That being said, considering how much grief D&D got from the Tolkien estates, I find this thing is a copyright lawyer's dream. Tolkien, you've got Balrogs, you've got dragons with one weak spot in their armor, which will kill them. Hobbits, trolls that turn to stone in daylight. Zelaznes, Shadowjacks from Amber. Lots of Lovecraft stuff, whether it's Nightcrawts or Shoggoths. <laughs> and not a cease and desist from anybody's estate in sight. Not that we know of, <laughs> no. I will say they're very upfront about it, though. You know, there's no wink trying to hide any of it. Most of it, he comes right out, like Tolkien's Balrog, this creature, da-da-da, or... These are from Zelazny's Amber books or whatever. You know, they're they're These are from Fritz Lieber. Yep. You know. Yeah, the ghouls. He also referenced Dungeons and Dragons directly. Oh yeah. Too. Usually usually <laughs> in a bad way, but I'm <laughs> I'm saying so funny. That. Although I wonder if he figured by giving attribution, then that made it okay. You know, I'm not saying these are mine. I'm saying these come from Fritz Lieber. I'm saying these Could come be. from Zelazny. You know. Well, he, he, I mean, he does he also, does cite his sources, but it's just the casual tone mm-hmm. that the the game's written in. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So again, I think that may have more to do with the fandom of the era and the fact that in '76, the mouse got the uh, copyright laws changed and made a lot stricter. So you know, such as they are. That's what my lawyer says. But you're exactly right. <laughs> Not like a, I'm swiping this stuff and just sticking ends in my game way. It was like, you know, yeah. like you could play evil humans as one of the monster races because this is so long ago. Dwarves were still monsters in a dungeon, right? And brigands and stuff. Mm-hmm. And the, I love that example of the two Turtles and Trolls classes that you could play in, even in Monsters, Monsters are – Fighter, parentheses, Conan, wizard, parentheses, Kandaf, thief, parentheses, Google the Clever, you know. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, um, it was a yeah, slap right in the face. <laughs> That's for sure. Okay, so Jim, three. Okay, well, I, I, that was my three. So let me move it up because I did extras. Um, the custom spells for the monsters, which I just thought was genius. I mean, that some monsters have spellcasting ability. Well, sure, that's in D&D. Dragons can throw spells, right? But all those custom mm-hmm. spells, and I could be completely on my own in this, just because I read a, things that were written like this back when I started in the late 70s, and I just adore the sort of gaming table sassiness of those spell names, like a spell called Heidi Hole. Oh, wait, I got a joke for you. Knock, knock. Who's there? Nobody. That's the name of a spell. <laughs> and uh, uh, healing feeling and uh, upsidaisy. That's the name of a spell. <laughs> it's uh, it's, 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 a, it's a little uh, Hargrave West Coast D&D <laughs> Arduin-ish. Yeah. Poor baby. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
for the healing spell. Yeah, yeah. the the cure light wounds equivalent. Poor B. Poor B. I, I adore that, and uh, I adore that in the context of this game and when it was written. You know, that's the Arizona version. The Southern yeah. version is bless your heart. <laughs> <laughs> so that's my number, whatever number okay. we're on. <laughs> three. <laughs> yeah, I will admit I didn't give the the spells as detailed a read as I might otherwise, because I just assumed you'd be all over the magic systems. So. You can count on me. Well, the monster thing was separate altogether anyway. The mm. monster spells, I found it accidentally. I was like, what the heck is this? Well, then what's your number three? Hmm. Monster uh, spells. No. <laughs> <laughs> Mine's all about the copyright. You know? <laughs> no. Uh, <laughs> I had that. I was really wanting to talk about it, too. Dang it. But that's okay. Stole all your stuff. No, it's, there's plenty of stuff actually. It was funny, yeah, you did weird. say you had fifteen. Well, so. we divided forty pages four ways five times. That's yeah. You know, <laughs> there's bound to be some trampling through the village. So well, I took the first ten pages. Jim took the next ten. <laughs> no, Man, no, that'd um, be awkward. <laughs> I started in the middle of the chapter on combat. Charisma, charisma is weird. To say the least, I, I really, I, I was flashing back to Twilight Zone's um, uh, Beauty or is it Eye of the, Eye the Beholder. Yeah. <laughs> I was flashing back to that. He was like, oh, it's just horrible. I'll have to live on an island with a bunch of freaks. <laughs> and, it, and, you're, and you're Ellie Mae. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, it's like they were in space. They were doing like an exchange or something. No, no. It's the one where the girl has the bandages on and they're taking them off and everybody's in shadow until she pulls the bandages off and she looks perfectly normal, but everybody else has a pig face. You're thinking of the other one, Mike, oh, okay. with uh, Nanny and the Professor guy in it, where they're all clones and beautiful. Yeah. They had to send like an emissary to this other race they had never met. So they sent this ugly kid there because they thought, you know, if he's killed you know, no big loss. And he goes over and exchanges and then he finds out all the aliens look like him. Oh wait, that's that's and still so another did... episode. Than the one I meant. Yeah, yeah. So Twilight so, Zone. It's good stuff. Yeah. That may have been our limits to be you know, to be fair. So I don't know. So anyway. Mike, what's your Twilight Zone top five? <laughs> I haven't even gotten on my top five. Come on, man. Charisma. There's gremlins on the wing. No, anyway. no, no, the the terror, the fact that I, I looked it up in ogres strike terror. They instantly strike terror, no matter what. It's like so, every ogre they meet is going to be scared of the next ogre. That's really confusing. Like, it's the domino theory, man. <laughs> Get an army of ogres. It's the feeling they inspire in humans, not in uh, each other. Well, then not shouldn't they have a charisma score? Because they ignore the charisma score to immediately strike terror, or there's ones that strike fear, or there's ones that strike awe, but they have no score. Like, well, shouldn't they well, just have a score? Here's another one for you. Oh, boy. Cap, you get adventure points, <clears throat> XP, for <laughs> capturing humans. Yeah. But only the pretty ones. I love that one. Yeah, Apparently, that wouldn't fly today, but yeah. <laughs> no 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 uglies yeah. allowed in in monster capture. Yeah, well I mean he specifically says that. No ugly people. Yeah, yeah well, monsters in glass houses should not be thrown <laughs> yeah. stones. That's what I gotta say. Like, yeah, I just uh, wow. Okay, that's now a, we're heading into the hole. dark end of this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's not, let's not, no. Okay. But yeah, I mean, it's just like, 
but you have a charisma score. Yeah, if you have a score, then what? why not use it? And it's like, if my ogre yeah. now has a smiley face, what the heck does that mean? <laughs> <It's> <laughs> okay, like... my ogre staples a mask of Hugh Jackman over his face. And... <laughs> yeah, I didn't, I didn't like that. That was confusing as all get out. Anyway. Inconsistent, yes. So, Liz. Okay. I liked the wandering enemies section. Now, naturally, it can't be wandering monsters because you are the monsters. But I just thought, you know, it's kind of a funny reversal of the random encounter idea. You're a bunch of monsters. You're just minding your own business. Suddenly, you go around a corner and run into a group of adventurers who just attack you for no reason. Because that never happens in the game. <laughs> I know. It, it's like, what's going on? <laughs> okay. That's very Liz's choice, too, because that's the closest thing to a rumor table this book had. It is. Yeah, very true. <laughs> yeah. I don't think there's really rumors happening in this, for sure. Yeah, although they did give, like, that sample town village thing, you know, for you to loot and build. I was also thinking of you, Liz, because they did include kobolds on the playable monster. Yes, I was like, you know, kobolds are earth elementals. It's like, that is so awesome. <laughs> okay, well, my three... This seems to kind of contradict my prior one, but it really doesn't. The monsters, some of the monsters he does put in are very original and kind of more mythological than even the D&D monsters are. And they come up with really interesting ideas. Like, for one instance, in Monsters Monsters, I didn't check to see if it's this way in Tunnels and Trolls. I can't remember, but goblins love fish right <laughs> that's really a non-game but some really role-play thing you can work with there though i gotta admit every time i as soon as i read that my first thought was the fin from the tick but you know. <laughs> i like the idea of gremlins there's really no kobolds as we know them like you said the earth elementals and when it came to the statues of trolls i like how they must be crushed or at midnight you know they they turn normal again and start pillaging all over again, even if you did catch them outdoors. Because like in, in Tolkien, they never really said, you know, you just kind of got the impression, okay, they're stoned forever. Well, maybe not. I kind of so liked with I, the basilisk, you know, if it sees you, then, then you get, yeah, you turn it's to so stone. embarrassed. Yeah, but if you see it before it sees you, it just gets so mad that it turns it itself, turns itself to, to stone. stone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that's the sense of humor, which I'll hit on a future... Anyway, that's my three. Jim? I went so far as to do a top six just in case mine got stepped on and mine are all gone now. Well, again, we already had, we only had 40 pages to work with, <laughs> so, you know. Amongst, buried in the in the monster listings, you've got, okay, there's the tables to tell you how being that monster race or species affects your stats by varying degrees up and down. Then there's the monster listing that gives you the general description, and then they all have their little secret powers and weaknesses like you were joking that you can be a dragon but you're missing one armor plate somewhere and they can there's rules for how they can hit it i adored the sphinx because kind of like how corbett was talking corbett's objection to the charisma thing would would be in the 70s a whole player dm fight at the table but the rules say i could do this well you can't do that here this way you know if you play a sphinx you you're you're like really beefy and powerful until a human thinks to challenge you to a riddling contest, and that's the end of the fight. You're you're passing riddles back and forth, and if the human wins, you just call it a day and go home. You don't get any XP as the Sphinx player. 
Well, at least you don't throw yourself off a mountaintop like in Greek mythology. Well, yeah, but still, I mean, you know, that's that's. <laughs> yeah, it it kind of like the tenacious D with the demon. You know, the demon code prevents me from declining a rock off chat. That's that's fun. I'm sure that was fun to write and it was fun to read. But I can just see, you know. <laughs> kids in the 70s playing this like the dm's my brother he would never actually do that to me in a game and game one you know it happens would you do it to your brother jim oh completely that's that was the nature <laughs> that, that, that was and to this day is the nature of our relationship we're siblings well that's yeah that's 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 what you do okay corbett number two gorillas <laughs> yeah they got gorillas they've got gorillas and i love the fact that they comment they put it in there of it's only here because i love Edgar rice burrows <laughs> yeah Edgar rice burrows <laughs> reference cool you could just have a bunch of gorillas go attack a town what the heck <laughs> <laughs> nothing that was it just gorillas 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 <laughs> all you need i just love okay liz well this is not my number two but i just wanted to add I also thought in the monster listings, it was hilarious. Like human scum. Oh, yes. And the description is human, human, human scum. scum. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> it's all you need. You are one. You know what to do. <laughs> human scum. Human scum. Human scum. <laughs> okay. My number two. Well, because Jim is expecting me to say it, I'm going to say you cannot really have any kind of review of just about anything done, tunnels and trolls, etc., without talking about Liz Danforth's art. And I particularly like her art style because, like me, she is very line-oriented, and I think that she just has a very clean look about you know, all of the things that she does. You know, she doesn't get into a whole bunch of shading and weird effects and stuff. It's just very clean line work, and she can get into some really good detail, zeroing in on small bits and pieces. It's it's awesome. It really is. How about that cover art, Liz, with the equal opportunity cheesecake in 1976? Like, you know, a little something yes. for the ladies, too. Uh-huh, exactly. You know, people talk about nowadays, and I certainly get where they're coming from, about how they don't appreciate the chicken, the chain, chainmail bikini, you know, etc. And it's that it's a lot. It's all over the place in fantasy. But my personal opinion has always been, as long as they are willing to give equal time in whatever book that they're printing for female readers... You know, I don't mind seeing scantily clad women in a role-playing game supplement or booklet if there's also, if not an equal amount, you know, a fairly good amount of scantily clad men for me to enjoy, too. So A plus for that in Monsters, Monsters. And Liz Dansworth's art has got humor in it, too which is very mm-hmm. old school. I mean, there's a there's a piece near the front where it's, you know, the, the setup is, okay, here comes some adventures down the hall and around the corner where they can't see is a goblin and a bunch of goblins waiting to ambush them, except one of the goblins has a bazooka. Yeah. <laughs> Out of nowhere. <laughs> do, do, do. <laughs> has uh, anybody here read the D&D Art and Arcana book? Yes. Yeah, I mean, they go into that about the early days of D&D art and the level of humor that was involved in it. Unless I'm mistaken, that we'll have one of those co-authors on our very next episode. Could be. Could be. <laughs> All right. Well, my number two, Human Scum. 
No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I like the... I felt like the magic system was pretty elegant insofar as it allows anybody to potentially cast magic, at least among humans and that sort of thing. But depending on the classes, it's how much strength it costs you, which is a nice balancer, I think, to allow. Because I've always been a big believer in the anybody can try anything. And it does it without, while still keeping archetypes together. When you run into the guy dressed like a wizard, you know they're going to have more magic behind them than the dude with the sword and the plate and such. And when you're playing monsters, that's kind of important. So I like that. Elegant, quick, easy to do, so on and so forth. Now, Jim, number one. I'm going to re-talk about the XPs. And I swear to God, even though they were changed to adventure points, I think there are places in the text where they left it XPs. No, no, I'm not yeah. going to talk about that. I'm going to talk about the people that produce. I'm going to continue to talk about the people that produced this because it was a whole team. And when you read all the way through the credits uh, for this 40-page book, there was a lot of people that worked on it. You could tell that it was basically a, a flying buffalo team creation. I mean, which makes perfect sense. Ken wanted to do the game, he wrote it, and then who did he go get? Well, all his friends that were already working on Tunnels and Trolls, and then Metagaming initially published it, and Flying Buffalo picked it back up, because there were a lot of cool cats. There was additional material uh, supplied for this by uh, Jim Bear Peters. The legendary Jim Bear Peters. Who I just briefly, I don't want to make it sound like anything it's not, know a little bit because I had to uh, interview him for the Grimtooth Traps big book that Goodman Games did. I I got to interview a bunch of these guys and he and I are exchanging emails and it's, this was a few years ago, but it's 40 years down the road and I just Loved the guy because he was big. I guess that's where the nickname came from and he's just like some guy you'd run into a biker bar with a great sense of humor who's super literate and super funny and he wrote the uh the example adventure that's in this rule book the whole village setup or the, i'm sorry the farmer's house that you can go romp and stomp in the in the uh nobody's mentioned this yet in the middle section of the book is the is the adventure notes for the gm that you can remove from the stables and leave the book unharmed so now when i'm shopping for a copy of this on ebay i'm going to be making sure it hasn't been ripped out yet like all the back pages of Holmes basic were. Yeah, I was just thinking the Holmes book with the back perforated quick sheet. Yeah, but uh I mean like uh Liz Danforth's still around, still doing art, Jim Bear Peters is still around contributing at Flying Buffalo. Ken St. Andre still around. I I'm the only guy who's missing is Steve Crompton. I'm amazed he doesn't have a piece of art in here somewhere. Maybe he was still in junior high back then in seventy six. Yeah, Liz Danforth did the art for the latest Deluxe Styles and Trolls, didn't she? That Kickstarter. I know she did a lot of it, if not yeah. all of it. I love it when somebody does art and you can just tell without ever meeting them. They must be a charming individual. Okay. Well, it's one thing to be good at this now, and it's one thing to be good at it in the 70s. But to have started in the 70s and still be around now doing great stuff, that's pretty good. Nice. Yeah. All right. Well, Corbett, you're number one. Combat is frustrating, to say the least. Yeah. Especially their example, which is basically the Hobbit that beats up the trolls and I'm really confused because the game is supposed to be about the monsters beating up other things. So that's kind of weird. I didn't look, but I wonder if it was literally cut and pasted from the thousand trolls books. It probably was. If you go to the combat explanation, it's almost like reading um, kind of like third edition when they started tacking on combat add-ons like, Oh, well you're going to roll this. 
but because they're on top of a hill and they're behind a corner and there's a shadow and the sun's bright and this and that and like oh my god just roll the dice <laughs> he had a bad dream the night before <laughs> you're, you're talking about daisy chain modifiers to a roll yeah it's it they're um on the other hand each side rolls adds the ads and whoever wins is the won one that round of combat and the difference is the hits you take true although both magic and missile combat are use a different system a more traditional system but yeah would it be fair to say that what corbett's highlighting is the war game aspects that are still ingrained in a role-playing game because this is so early oh absolutely absolutely probably so especially miniatures war games because yeah the various modifiers could if you look at any of the old wrg rule books for miniatures combat you got add-ons and add-ons and add-ons and add-ons my problem with Tunnels and Trolls combat is it's too abstract. My your your characters really don't feel like they're doing much. It's just a roll, a roll, compare, okay, damage. Roll, roll, compare, damage. Well, it's basically like I mean, high yeah. card wins. Yeah, basically. Spoilers, that's how modern computer role playing games. That's what the computer's doing in the background. <laughs> True, but you don't see that and you have more choice. I would think, at least on whether you dodge, whether you, you know, do things. And yeah, you could say the same thing about D&D. But D&D just feels a little more like you have more character well, action. I totally I agree with you, by the way. I was just smart enough. I think it's totally the, uh, the, the game master who's running it, too. Because, you know, I've had DMs that are like, okay, roll the dice. All right, you lost. Here's the points. Go. But there's people who go into the details and like, oh, you know what? You took a wide swing and he came in too low and you nipped off of you know go into the detail the story of it and you yeah. still have the well, numbers backing it up which is pretty well good the DM. original D, they were expecting only the dm would have the rules players wouldn't have the rules you know they would handle everything so maybe maybe that was kind of the way they were thinking too well liz can testify to this because we play in the same matt finch game matt is one of my favorite dms and one of the things he does that i adore is he narrates the combat back to us well I, I rolled a number. I'm just interested in whether I hit or miss, but Matt won't narrate it that way. Well, with a mighty thrust, you know, your spear, you, you threw that spear into melee and, and, and Liz, it whizzed right by your head. You could hear it whistle and then it thunked into the guy's <laughs> eye socket, the, That which would be hard to do with this combat system. Oh, yeah. But anyway. Okay, Liz. Well, just to be contrary, <laughs> my number one is I'm going to say I kind of liked the idea behind the combat system. The idea of it where you just, you total all the rolls and any additional bonuses or penalties together, the enemy does the same, the side with the higher total wins that round. On paper, at least, it sounds very streamlined and elegant. But to be fair, though, it does start to get a little fiddly again when you have to determine changes in your constitution, your hit points, and your strength scores for everybody because of the results and keep track of them. So instead of keeping track of one thing, hit points, you're now keeping track of two things. It's like it started out, they were trying to make it, you know, simplify it and streamline it. And then it just sort of got all complicated again towards the end. Like a lot of combat That'll systems. That'll happen when you're writing a combat system. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it starts really easy, and then it's suddenly... Well, I mean, you required minimum strength to use certain weapons. Mm -hmm. So you've got to constantly keep a tally on that, too, because if your strength goes down, you got to drop your weapon. Right. And I mean, there's a lot of bookkeeping involved throughout the game, which... 
again, I think is it's the war gaming. That could have been my number one, because the one thing you don't have to bookkeep as a monster player is your uh, carrying capacity. It's right there in the yeah. rules. Yeah. You have to worry about this with humans because a sword weighs 40 gold pieces, but monsters, forget about it. <laughs> don't care. <laughs> Unless you're an evil human, then you... Yeah, then you're a monster, yeah. so it's okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but bottom line, I liked the initial idea behind the combat system. So I think it could be tweaked a bit. Yeah, I think it could be tweaked a bit to keep it streamlined and simple instead of you know having it go kind of wonky there. But... But yeah, I like the idea. I think it might make a good mass combat system. And when I say mass, I don't mean like armies. I mean like, yeah. you know, 20 aside or something. Yeah. And they did have a group variant, you know, instead of ev- individuals doing this, an entire side did that. And then the other side did it. And Because, I mean, especially so, if you're attacking a town as monsters, you're going to, you know, there's going to be large groups going involved. They really did make it sound like it was fun to, to sack a town, though. I, I will admit that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I've played with some people that could really, really get really disturbingly get into that. Yeah, but they're doing that as the good guys. <laughs> let, let me introduce you to Jim's theory that forget about the player characters. 95% of all actual people who play D&D are chaotic neutral. <laughs> I certainly would say that is true of our of our current online game. <laughs> Send your emails to what's the email address? <laughs> <laughs> we will have a link to that in the show notes. All right, my number one, and this is kind of a a good and a bad. The humor, when it hits, it hits well, but there are other times, as mentioned earlier, that when Like the snark about a certain other role-playing game. Once, okay, chuckle. Twice, it's getting thin. Three, okay, this is getting... This is sounding almost petulant, you know? We get it. Gary wrote you a nasty letter and you're... You're You're mad at it, okay. (laughs) Lots of people can say that. And there's some stuff that I don't know if it was appropriate or decent enough at the time i was like eight or nine at the time monsters monsters first came out there's some spell names for example that i would be extremely uncomfortable using even in a shall we say all caucasian group much less a mixed group of players some people could find some of this really offensive i won't specify if you're that curious look it up you'll know it when you find it but then there's other things you know where they mention for instance trolls like long pig now nine ten years old i would have said oh that must be a type of pig they must specifically like that pig they look for them when they're at farms no (laughs) no that's people that was a joke on sabrina The new Sabrina show on Netflix, they, they they run a mortuary and they have a body in the bottom. And they, there's some reason they have to go do something magic with the body. And one of her aunts just goes, oh, that's too bad. It's been a long time since we've had long pig for dinner. And I'm like, oh, that's a great uh, TV show. <laughs> <laughs> Gremlins like lady fingers. The cookie? No. <laughs> no not the cookie. Very of its time and a little dodgy now. Would have been dodgy to me then too. You know, one of the monsters you can play are black hobbits, and I I was really expecting a different explanation. 
in the context of the way the game was written. But even then, it's like, this doesn't refer to the skin color. This is the the dark hobbits. You know, they have black oily hair and they're evil. You know, I'll I did call them dark hobbits then. Yeah, yeah. that was my thought. I you was know, kind of confused. <laughs> uh, it was very tongue-in-cheek, though. Yeah, I mean, the sample monster was referred to as despoiler of maidens. That's a little... Eh. So, like Jim was saying, when you delve into this, be aware it's it's mid-70s, all its best and worst attributes. I'm trying to figure out a way to say this that's not uh, an attack on Ken St. Ken, Ken Andre. Uh, well, no, I mean, he wrote it for, you know, 35 years ago. I mean, you know... Written by young, uninformed white males for young, uninformed white males in the mid-70s. Right. I mean... You know, can imagine, I, I wouldn't want people looking at stuff I wrote 25 years ago and judging me on it. Times change, attitudes change. And on the whole, it's it's a good thing. It is something that I don't want people, oh, you said it was going to be a great game, and I got it, and holy crap. Like, well, yeah, be warned. I'm going to play a dragon. I get XP for collecting virgins, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Collect the whole set. No, no. Beautiful virgins. Yes, true. And, and which I guess it's ironic extra... because you'd think it'd be easier to find the other type of virgin. But, you know. I know. Like Corbett said, I even get X. I get to see a. I get to see a mid seventies player trying to game the system. And uh, wait a minute, I also get XP for and heal. I heal for sating my hunger. So now I eat the virgins. I get the XP both ways. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the guys in D anD D. Well, I got a XP award for getting the magic item. Now I'm selling it, and I want the XP for that gold. Yeah, uh-huh. No, that's not how that works. <laughs> Plot points okay, you will I never ate, see in Knights of Dinner but, Table. But a foot. Now I resurrect the virgin. Can I eat her again and get even more XP? No, no, you I don't can't. Know. I could totally Stop see it. myself going hog wild with the destructiveness bonus for uh, XP. That's just that's just asking for something fun. That's just throwing <laughs> another quarter in rampage. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeehaw! <laughs> All right. Well, let's talk about the saves. What makes a save, and what is going to take half? What makes the save, and what doesn't make the save? And just to mix things up, we'll start with Liz. Me? You. <laughs> oh, man. Ha ha! They can steal everybody else's saves. Ha ha! <laughs> You're welcome! I shall. What makes us say, well, not you picking me first. <laughs> <laughs> okay, what makes the save? I especially liked the rules on Wizards' staves. I thought they were pretty mm-hmm. darn neat and something that I would like to seriously incorporate into a standard fantasy campaign of my own. And the Preach way. It, sister. Yeah! <laughs> Uh, the way wizard staffs work in Tunnels and Trolls, and by definition, monsters, monsters, they aren't necessary. But if a wizard has a staff, it reduces the strength expenditure of their spells and allows a magic user to do more than he or she normally would be able to do on their own. And you've got three kinds of staves. Uh, there's a, the makeshift, which is you know, just any old piece of wood that you pick up randomly and you can make it into a stave, a staff, and 
use it, but it will eventually self-destruct after you've poured X amount of power through it. Uh, the ordinaire, a permanent staff which will not destroy itself, no matter how many spells you work through it, but it doesn't have any extra special abilities beyond that. And then you've got the deluxe staff, and it's like the ordinaire, but it also has a name, and it is indestructible, and it remembers any spell ever cast through it. So if you were able to claim the deluxe staff of a defeated rival, you could learn spells that you didn't know before if they were in that staff's memory. So cool. And it's like, this is awesome. It makes a staff more than just, you know, an affectation. I really liked that. So that was one of the, my favorite things about going through this was the, okay. the staffs. Doesn't make the save. Doesn't make the save. Now, this is kind of playing on what you were talking about, you know, just now, Mike. I felt a little uncomfortable with the phrasing behind some of the ideas of the game. And not necessarily, you know, you know, the individual spells and stuff, although, you know, that kind of played into it too. But while I like the idea of playing a monster and being it be it could be goofy fun. And yeah, we we played it, albeit in two E D and D. Yeah, you know, we were a bunch of goblins. Or were we goblins or were we kobolds? We were goblins. We were goblins, yeah. We were goblins. We were trying to steal chickens from a farm. You know, got <laughs> some of us got killed by a Tim, goat. Tim and, got murderized by a goat. That yeah, was great. I mean, it was hilariously fun. And that kind of game, I think I would just enjoy the, enjoy the heck out of. But some of the, the way that they described it, you know, in multiple parts of the book about how it's an opportunity to get rid of the impure and perverted impulses which affect most of us. Or yeah. You can fulfill all your most perverted desires in the persona of your monster and be rewarded for it. And it's like, wow, that sounds really creepy. And that's not the kind of game that I want to play. That, that was really what struck me as being very yeah like that 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 was very uncomfortable i i didn't care for that i think it could have been worded a a little more a little less creepy less (laughs) less salaciously yeah (laughs) like we were talking about back in movies in the 70s and 80s or tv shows the guy who lurked after the woman at all times that was considered romantic now it's it's called the police <laughs> now you're you know? a stalker <laughs> now you're a stalker and it's not romantic at all yeah i was a teenager in the 70s so you know i, I there's a lot about the 70s i miss no one wore a bra but i'm not going to say that out loud oh wait <laughs> <laughs> except you just did <laughs> He didn't take his medication. Nobody this wore a bra, not even the women. <laughs> but I wouldn't write that into my game for publication. <laughs> yeah, just because something happened doesn't mean you have to specifically write about it in your game. Ah, <laughs> uh, okay, Corvet. Uh, I actually did a little digging because I was curious who, who and where it all came from and what was going on, and it was yeah, it was, it was developed. Or Ken Saint Andre, so it was interesting. Because he had started off making tunnels and trolls, he went, uh, he went with, um, I think he ran like a 40 print set and took it to Origin, or no, somebody else took it to Origin and sold them all, right. and then they started the second run. Reading it, I gotta admit, made me think of Jim, 
which he might be insulted by, but it's just that kind of like, you know what? I'm just going to make this game and I'm going to put it out there and I don't give a crap. <laughs> I mean, not, <laughs> not that you don't care about the game, but you don't care what anybody thinks. You're just going to make it. And it, it's, it's kind of hopeful for that independent gamer. Actually, I think it's easier to do that now than it was then. So it was, it was very, uh, it was kind of upbeat, positive kind of feel that I just loved about the game that made me do love it. Yourself. it. Yeah. Yeah. So making the save is it it got a game out there that not anybody was really thinking about. And that's pretty cool. This is when my sponsor tells me just to say thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I mean I I I take your point because I you know, there are uh new generations of writers and artists coming up all the time and this is something I preach. It's like, you know, don't dream it, be it. The 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 unavoidable part is the hard work you have to put into it. But if you and and you have to find your passion because that passion is what's going to carry you through all the hard work and reject endless rejections till you get your stuff out there. So I, I I appreciate what you're saying and thank you. Well, I guess doesn't you could also slap me in the face for this doesn't make the save because it doesn't make the save is it feels like it's, it's a copy Jim. of a copy. <laughs> no no no. <laughs> the the game feels like it's like you know how you they, they always tell you if you make a copy of a copy the second copy becomes flawed because of the first copy, and it feels like. They're like, well, we're not making D&D. We are totally not making D&D. We are absolutely not making D&D. And I'm not saying D&D anymore because we're not making D&D. This is definitely 100% not D&D. <laughs> so the only it, game I've come across <laughs> that did that worse was Fantasy Wargaming by that Galloway guy. Ar um, Arduin had a lot of that in it. Uh, it was the only thing that felt I felt like it was constantly reminding me, like, we're not that. Like, okay, I, I get you. Methinks thou dost protest too much. Basically. And, well, and like I was mentioning earlier, there's the we're not that because that's stupid. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't directly say that, but there's some serious snark there. There's a lot of snark. Yeah. And oh, by the way, we're still 80% exactly like that. Yeah. Yeah, probably. good thing we've improved on that considerably in, in, in the world. I think that was the one thing that was a bit of a deterrent for the game. Um, just because it, it starts off with all these positive sayings and really well-worded and well-crafted thoughts. And boom. Yeah. yeah. Please don't put me in the position of defending Ken Singhandre, but... <laughs> <laughs> You know, uh, if I I was a teenager in the sixties, or in the seventies, God, <laughs> he's Getting aging older as we minute. speak. That's only funny because I was sitting in a movie with my youngest nephew, and he just, "Were you at Woodstock?" And I'm like, "Yeah, I was at Woodstock." And let me tell you, that brown acid was rough on a seven year old. But uh, <laughs> you know, I was uh, Ken Saint Andre can't be that much older than me, so I mean, he was young. Oh yeah, yeah. All right. Well, anything else, sir? Move to Jim. Is the ageism over yet? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Grandpa, go ahead. Uh, well, let me tell you, back in my day, <laughs> we rolled our dice uphill both ways. They crumbled and we still care. Um, we, we were, were thankful. thankful. You're always thankful. Uh, yeah. We were thankful for those crits. Uh, what makes uh, what, what makes this save for me in this game is if you're of a desire to explore and jump in a time machine and find out exactly what gaming was like in the 70s. I can think of no finer example than this book. Uh, Flying Buffalo still sells it. You should go get a reprint and don't just read it, uh, actually play it. But that would lead you to the part that 
doesn't make the save for me. Uh, modern DM and group of players uh, couldn't just sit down and open the book, scan it, and start playing this. You would have to, uh, both the DM and the group would have to commit to learning this system together the way it's written well, 40 some odd years ago. Because uh, I, I had a very similar experience myself when I uh, signed up to start writing first edition Metamorphosis Alpha Adventures for Goodman Games. I started with first edition Gamma World, and they're written by the same guy. How hard could it be? So I just sit down with my players, and off we go. And no, 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 no. Those Jim Ward 1976 rules are just like this. It's stream of consciousness written in the order the writer sat down and wrote it. There's page flipping and exceptions to exceptions. My good friend Bob Brinkman just did this with Cyborg Commando. He's Bob's run it at prior Gary Cons. Now there's a whole team of DMs that are going to run a Cyborg Commando tournament at this upcoming Gary Con. That, you know, That's cool. The way to the way to do that and what you would have to do with this game is everybody's got to be all in and multiple copies of the game, which I eventually did with MA. I went and got a bunch of little cheap copies printed and handed them out to every player. Okay, we're figuring this out together. Go. So yeah, don't listen to this podcast. Go get this game and think you're just going to sit down and run it for your players. It's going to take some 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 reading and and a few sessions before you start getting the hang of the system. Well, and that was a criticism for the original D and D too. Was difficult to really understand if you just sat down with a book to learn it. Uh, Some would say impossible. Tim Cass will go to his grave saying, "If you were a wargamer at the time, those rules were perfectly understandable." And maybe that's the same here with tunnels and trolls and such. But yeah, historically, I'd love to see a first printing of Tunnels and Trolls. I'd love to read it just to see how how it stacked up, you know, as far as how it was later edited. Kind of like, you know, you get the feeling of D&D starting in the original and then going through AD&D and so on and so forth. But anyway, okay, my saves. Um, and you kind of touched on this earlier, but for me, the saves is the old school flexibility of it. It's very freeform. You know, a GM who's confident in him or herself can really do all sorts of weird shenanigans with this stuff. And I'm speaking both for Tulls and Trolls and for Monsters, Monsters. The rules, you know, unless you let it get in your way, you can you can ignore sections and nobody's going to call you on it, partially because odds are your players aren't going to know it. And even if they do, it's the way it's just treated is like, eh, do this, do that. Not, yes, no, who cares? And kind of talking about what you were saying about the, the books earlier, I, I almost get the feeling Monsters, Monsters was written specifically for people who already play Tunnels and Trolls. I don't know that. I've never talked to Ken San Andre, so I couldn't say. But I really got the feeling reading it was, this was, hey, all you Tunnels and Trolls guys, wouldn't it be fun to play the Monsters for a change? And really kind of expected you to know most of the rules already. You just needed to know what modifications were necessary for the monster end of things. That's um, a really good point. That's just a guess. I have no proof, but that that's to me. And that's fine if you already played Tunnels and Trolls, but if you're trying to get new folks, you're going to have a steep learning curve here. So anyway, that's been Monsters, Monsters. And is this available on DriveThru? Uh, it is. I bought it. It is available on Drive-Thru RPG. Excellent. We'll have a link in the show notes. How much is it? Do you remember? I think it was like $6. Okay. It wasn't terribly like, oh, yeah, no. Yeah, that's not bad. No, not, not nowadays, certainly. 
Say goodnight, oh. everybody. Wait, 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 wait. Wait, wait, what, what? What if people want to tell us something about their experiences with Monsters, Monsters? How could they reach us? Or, and this is a stretch, <laughs> perhaps gainsay some of our views and points. Oh, <laughs> well, then they might, just maybe, want to send us an email or a voicemail. Voicemail, oh, unfortunately, screaming at the sky would make more sense, but that's good too. <laughs> that it's certainly more cathartic, I suspect. But uh, yeah, you could write us, and where could you write us? Uh, calling on Jim would be too easy. Liz, <laughs> I just got back. I, I, I would spit out the wrong podcast email. I have that one memorized, though. I'm going to go out on a limb and say you would send us an email at saveforhalfpodcast.com. Or is it just saferhalf.com? Saferhalf. At gmail. Yeah, saferhalf.com or saferhalfpodcast at gmail.com. Yes. So either one of those would work. Yeah, you could go to the site and I think there's a contact form. So all good then. So we can read your emails on a special email episode that in six years I've been unable to convince Mike to stop doing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, you know. Yeah, I know. It could happen. Well, he has phased out saying the email address. I just realized that three yeah. or four shows ago. <laughs> <laughs> well, because uh, they don't to send be fair, emails if they don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I still mention them when they do the email shows. We just haven't done an email show in quite some time. That's true. We keep having guests on. Yeah, darn those guests! If only we could do an email show and have a guest on. Impossible. Mm. That's crazy talk. How are you going to do that to poor John Peterson? (laughs) (laughs) He's tough. He can take it. Right. So unless anyone else has anything to say, we'll say goodnight. Goodnight. See ya. Goodnight. Briark. (laughs) Although I should have said Briark, Briark. I'm burning out the Swayze. (laughs) I had Swayze once, got it burned right out. (laughs) Hardly any side effects. There's a shot you can get for that. (laughs) Oh, really? (laughs) See, now I'm going to have stuff to use.